Enthusiasm, authenticity, and entrepreneurship are three words that come hand in hand in today's social world. And this week's guest elevates those three words towards making her passion work as a career. Anne, known as Anne's Kitchen, is a cookbook author, food journalist, and producer of her own TV show. We talk about her childhood and how she found her passion, but also what it means to sacrifice your own sanity to live off that passion. We talk about how to build your own foundation of building blocks to expand on your own projects. We talk about synchronicity and the universe, her values, and much, much more. So without further ado, my name is Kevin Fernandez. Welcome to Muse. So food is your passion. Yes, absolutely. You seem like a very enthusiastic and very happy person. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to understand that part of you first. Ooh, okay. So where does that come from? Have you always been like that as a child, for example? Yes, I think as a kid, I was always a bit weird for some other kids because I was always the one coming up with projects and mm -hmm. doing kind of theater and lots of fun things and coming up inventing games or I was the one who um, I made like a little magazine that okay. I made myself and I had my sister help and we sold it to our neighbors in the street. Okay. Once I made ice creams and I sold it to the people's outside the doctor's office in our street. They looked at me like, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I always had um, lots of ideas and my parents really fostered me uh, exploring all these ideas. So they, um, they helped me, uh, well, kind of also find, find my passions. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually the funny thing is that um, I was in the Scouts when I was little. So, um, you know, you get these badges, you have to do these first aid badge and all these things. And I really, really wasn't bothered with it. I really didn't want to do all these missions to get these badges except for two badges that I ended up getting yeah. the first one was the cooking badge <laughs> and the second one interestingly enough was the reporter badge and I realized in the scouts we had one little camp where we were in Colmarberge and we had to go around and interview people in the streets and write a story and I loved it I absolutely loved it and at the same time a few months later there was the cooking camp and on that weekend, I was in heaven. Great. So I think I found those two passions really, really early in life. And it's interesting that I'm now actually working in both of them and that's, combining them. That's pretty, that's pretty lucky, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how old were you? Do you remember? I think, yeah, well, it must have been around 10, 12. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's pretty um, rare because people usually never find... Well, a lot of people never have the chance to find their passion. So... But I think as well that there is a lot of pressure these days on people to have sure. a passion and to make a passion into a career, which is also something I would not advise to anyone unless they're really willing to sacrifice their sanity and their time <laughs> and their life towards really what they love. But if you turn what you love into a business, mm -hmm. it will become a business. So you also have to, in some way, enjoy the entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. and that bit. Which you already had as a child, as you say, because you were selling ice cream to yeah. doctors. So essentially, that was also one of the questions that I had, which <laughs> is, did you always have this entrepreneurial spirit or did you actually develop it with your passion? Yeah, no, I think I was always very entrepreneurial. I always tried to create things, sell things. Um, I remember at, at the beach as a child, we would, my sister and I would collect um, shells and then we would try and sell them back to people. And they were always <laughs> like, what? No, but my mom was so sweet. My, my parents always bought a few of us and then we could go and buy an ice cream. Yeah, so. well, I, I guess they also uh, sort of developed the ability to have to make it work, yeah. right? By giving you the money, exactly. you're like, okay, this actually works. Yeah. Even if it's your parents, it still works. Yeah, absolutely. You, you said something about sacrificing yeah. your sanity. You got to tell more about this. Well, no, I just think that um, a lot of people assume that if you have, if you make your passion into your job, that it must be really amazing. And, oh, you're doing what you love all the time. 
and it must be heaven. And yes, it is. But at the same time, it means you can never again look at your passion in a passionate way without having anxiety attached to it in terms of will the business work out? Will, it, will I make enough with this? Will this recipe work out? Um, it's also very personal in a way that um, when I cook, I mean, cooking should be enjoying or should be enjoyment. Um, but when I cook now, I always have my notes with me. I have a scale. I really need to measure everything. I can't just freestyle and write a recipe. It has to be completely measured. Mm -hmm. And then when it fails, I feel like, oh God, first of all, I'm sad because it didn't work out. Second of all, I'm like, oh no, I have to test it again. <laughs> yeah, so it's a so, repetition. Exactly, which is also fine. But what I just want to say is it's, it's taking the pure, free joy out of it and it's creative, turning it into something different, mm -hmm. which is also great because it creates flow in my work. It makes me enjoy the stuff that I need to do, to do every day. Mm -hmm. But do you still have fun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Well, there are parts that will be removed from the fun part, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the fact that it is, um, how do you call that? Spontaneous. Right. Yeah. Usually a passion is spontaneous. I just want to do it and I do it. But here it's organization. Yes, that's very true. And the interesting thing is that I do realize I kind of like organizing things. I mean, my background is journalism and I was a TV producer in London for a long time. So all I had to do is organize shoots and really and, and organize stories. And you have to be very, very organized. Mm -hmm. And the same is as a recipe writer, you have to be very organized. You have to have an idea in your mind and, and also make sure you get everything at the supermarket so you don't have to run out mid-recipe mid to get an egg or yeah, something. That's, you know? that's usually my problem <laughs> when I do those things. Yeah. In terms of organization, do you have certain tips and tricks for the audience in order to organize themselves? Because I feel like you have... <laughs> quite a large knowledge base in regards to organization i mean like you are an author you have you have had your tv show uh you have your own pinot gris you have uh upcycled vintage cup can um tea, tea can cup candles tea yes yeah <laughs> i mean there are so many things and yeah. it feels like i mean it is difficult enough to pursue one passion mm -hmm. and i feel like you were able to bring one passion into different business lines Yes. And I feel like it really needs an enormous amount of organizational skills. Well, it's also a lot of um, Lego blocks in the way you start with one basis and then you build upon that. So right. I started with a blog. So just to really say really how it started. I started with a blog to write recipes with the idea that I might become an author because I really wanted to write a cookbook. And that led to actually me getting a cookbook offer by a publisher in Luxembourg. I had no idea how to write a cookbook, but I knew how to write recipes because I'd been doing it for a few years, you know, mm -hmm. through the blog. Mm -hmm. So I built on that and I learned the knowledge of writing cookbooks or of how to publish a cookbook through the editor I worked with. Uh, by now I'm publishing my own cookbooks, so I'm no longer working with a publishing house, I'm doing it all. Mm -hmm. But I would have never done that the first time, you know. Yeah. So it's a building block. So that's how I draw on that. And then the TV show, the same. I worked in TV, so I gathered all these skills and I kind of realized, oh, it's actually, I need this, this and that. And the knowledge I didn't have, I either Googled it and YouTubed it or I found the right people to talk to. And I never jump into anything unprepared, mm -hmm. but you have to take a leap of faith as well because you never know what's going to be on the other side. And there's always going to be things that you didn't anticipate and stumble stones and things. But... Um, in terms of organization, I think it's really important that you kind of choose your battles. So if you know I can do that and that and that well, but I'm really rubbish at, say, the accounting bit, well, get yourself an accountant mm -hmm. or get your dad to do it. Like my dad does it for <laughs> me now, bless him. Um, so I think it's very important to know where your limits are. And to also rely on um, or to, to, to rely on other resources and to draw on other people's ideas and, and skill sets. Um, so that's one thing of just maybe approaching some of your own projects. Because I do most of it on my own, but I still draw on people like the Pinot Gris. 
hey, I didn't learn how to make wine. I know how to drink it very well, <laughs> but I don't know how to make wine, but I have a winemaker friend, Mark Desom, and so we've known each, we go back a long time, and he, at some point, he said, Anne, you have so many cookbooks, you cook so much, people love your food, why don't you make a wine that goes with your food? So I said, well, why don't you make me a wine that kind of goes well with Luxembourgish food and with a bit of Asian flavors? Mm -hmm. And Pinot Gris is my favorite wine, so why don't we go in that direction? And so he gave me a few different bottles to try, and we settled on the one I liked best. Mm -hmm. And then I did the design for the label, and I created a QR code that links to the recipes that go with the wine. And I do a bit of the marketing, but he does the wine sales because I don't have a license to sell alcohol either, which again is something my business doesn't need it, but I'm working with another business that's that, that does that for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think you really have to um, choose your collaborations well and um, yeah, and just, but organize it in a way that I'm not doing everything. So when the wine project came, I had no other direct project that was keep taking all my attention. When last year, when the whole lockdown, the first lockdown happened, I had nothing. I had no project. And then RTL called and said they wanted me to film some recipes in my kitchen. So I was like, okay, I have no idea. Well, I, I know how to direct a film crew. I know how to film. But how do you film yourself? You know, how do you do that in a way that it doesn't look like an amateur mm -hmm. YouTube video in the end? It needs to go on TV. So I just sat down for an evening with a glass of my wine <laughs> and I thought, and then I was like, okay, well, I need a good camera, but I need a camera with a flip screen because I need to be able to see what I'm doing. Um, so I called up RTL and I said, I need a camera with a flip screen. I need some lights and I need um, audio equipment. And they brought everything over and... After a day of testing by myself, because I didn't want a crew with me, I realized that camera flip thing is so not going to work <laughs> because they gave me one of those real bad camcorders, you know, mm -hmm. and it was very unhandy. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. So I could have just said, it's not going to work. You know, I, I don't know how to do it. But I sat down and I was like, come on, all these YouTubers who really have great videos, they probably don't have that equipment. And I realized I just need a good phone. I need a good iPhone. So mine was rubbish. So next day I called up my phone provider and I said, I need a phone now. And so three days later, I had the new phone in the post. I bought it, right? I mean, it wasn't that it was sponsored. It sounds like it. No, no, no. Um, and I realized it works like that. So I found a way around it. But I really wanted to do that project. Mm -hmm. That's, that sounds so amazing. <laughs> Well, it's just about making things work. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of evenings or days where I'm really like thinking, I don't know where this is going, or I don't know if I can do this, or there's setbacks. Mm -hmm. But well, when I look back, I'm like, damn, I've kind of managed to do quite a, a few good things already. And then you learn through that. I think in business, you learn through your successes and also through your failures. And when I think back in terms of failure, I had a huge failure when I was um, 18 years old. It was in première, so in the last year of school. Mm -hmm. I was, um, there was a new section, like not a new section, but a new option that was created for doing a yearbook film. Mm -hmm. So we did a yearbook and they wanted to have a film with the yearbook. And they had put me in charge to direct the whole project of doing a film for the yearbook because they knew I loved directing. I loved all these ideas of filming. I had 15 students with me. I had a whole plan for the whole year of what to film. We filmed the Klesia and we filmed everything. I edited all that footage in my spare time in the evenings in my home. They gave me a computer from school to edit it. In the end, I had a 45-minute film that everyone in my premiere year had pre-ordered and paid for already. And the final render completely messed the edit up. The video that came out was green and scrambled. And I was like, that's not possible. My Adobe Premiere was really working fine. So I exported it again, and again it came out as a complete mess. 
So I called up a film student I knew and I said, can you come and help? I've got a real big problem because the school teachers had no idea what went wrong. And he came and he said, Anne, don't worry, we can do it. And he sat there for a few hours and his face was more and more like, don't tell me you used that program with that program. Don't tell me you imported it via Pinnacle and edited it in Adobe. These programs are not compatible. They will never work. And I was like, but the teachers, oh, they had no idea. So they just gave me what they thought was right. So he said, don't worry, because we can just re-edit the whole thing from the originals. I was like, I don't have originals because we only had five tapes in the budgets. We had over-recorded. We had recorded over the tapes. So the whole video project that I had worked on for a whole year was gone. And to put a cherry on top of this awful experience, I had to, on my prom night, get up on the stage, take the microphone, and tell the entire school that the video project was gone and that they would be refunded. And you can imagine, I mean, I was in school always a bit controversial because people thought I was a bit crazy for all these crazy projects I did and for my enthusiasm and whatever. They really talk bad and not only behind my back but also in front of me I was really an obvious failure they all said we knew she couldn't do it you, you see she's just full of crap mm -hmm. how did you deal with that <laughs> it was very tough very tough I mean yeah you get I mean I really I felt like oh my god my whole world has just imploded fortunately it was the last day of school, so I knew I'm not going to see these people again on a daily basis, but it really felt like, you know, I worked so hard. Why? Well, that's not fair. Why did I get the wrong equipment? Why did the people I trusted to give me the right equipment give me the wrong equipment? Well, they didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is, what I learned is, I'm now, when it comes to technology, really checking in advance what I'm working with, how I'm doing it, and I'm always double-checking every recording that the audio is on it, <laughs> that I pressed record. Yes, I, I can relate to those things as <laughs> well. Know? I mean, like, especially today, we know what happened with our uh, back on stage. But that was before we started, so... Yeah, that was good. Perfect. That was good. <laughs> that was good. But you took on uh, accountability, which is quite hard at such a young age, especially. How did yeah. you feel like being on stage? And saying that to the kids? Well, they were all my equals. They weren't even kids. That's the problem. So, um, yeah. No, because peers are tougher than if you get as an authoritative pe person in front of people and you admit something is wrong, okay, that is a leadership. But you still were a leader in, in regards to the project, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing is that the people who did the project with me back then, they had really seen the thing before it was finally rendered mm -hmm. so they were telling everyone no this is really this we saw the video it's there it's just so at least there were some people having my back but yeah it was really really tough and um soul crushing but at the same time I got out on the other side and I guess it teaches you resilience it teaches you well to look at a failure and say okay what can I learn from that and what how can I, well, what's the next thing mm -hmm. <laughs> that I can do? Did you learn something in regards to, with that experience towards, nowadays you also have a social media presence, you are, you are, you are on TV. Did you learn anything with that particular experience that allowed you to get rid of or set up your mentality for the trolls, if you have any? Do you, uh, ha do, do you have negative comments? Yeah, sometimes, um, but rarely. Mm -hmm. I guess food is not so controversial. <laughs> um, rarely, yes. I, I am generally always a bit um, careful of what I put out or I think twice um, in terms of if it's something that's not related to food. But, um, for example, I was um, two weeks ago when the whole vaccination list um, was uh, opened up to become to put yourself on the waiting list for AstraZeneca. I, I did that. And um, 
it was very hard to get through. I don't know if you, you, you heard of it, but the, the website was crashing the whole time, the government website. And my sister kind of figured out how to get through it. You just have to hit refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> and then at some point, after half an hour, we had gotten our confirmation that we were on the list. Mm -hmm. And I was so psyched. And I was thinking, oh, my God, if somebody, if my sister hadn't been there and told me how to hack this system, I would have not been on the list. So I was so full of enthusiasm at that moment that I took my phone and I did a story on Instagram where I explained to everyone else out there how to hack this, this website to get through it. Mm -hmm. Not hack it, but you know, how to play with the system. And I got so many messages from people saying, oh, thank you, Anne, now I managed to get my, mine as well. But I got one troll, one person who got, well, obviously very upset about it and who said, I thought this was a food account. What is, what is, I mean... Well, are you being paid now for propaganda for the government and so on? And I was like, uh, no, I do what I want. And I believe in this message that other people want this. So I just wanted to spread the word. And, well, they continued to say a few things about what they think about that. And I kind of thought to myself, well, they have a point in the way, yeah, it's a, it's a food Instagram account, but at the same time, Am I not allowed to to kind of sometimes also stand for 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 something? And um, no, I really I dealt with it. Uh, yeah, I just I, I I answered though. I didn't. My my friends all said just don't answer. And I said, oh yeah, but I I think I should at least engage on a normal level and just say, look, mm -hmm. this is how I kind of felt about it. <laughs> if, if if you think about it, you have a certain influence in Luxembourg. Um, what is it to have? I, I, Lewis Hamilton, for, Formula One driver, said that once, and I, I, I think of that when when you just share your experiences, uh, which is you have if you have all that popularity or that influence of, over a certain amount of people, what is having a certain influence if you can't use it for something good? And in this regard, you did it for because you you've done you yeah, you want to do the vaccine, right. so it's for yourself. And it wasn't that I was saying to people you should get. No, but for the too. people who do want to. Yeah, and I think, I mean, well, I don't want to go down the road and now talking too much about that uh, thing, but I think it's, well, it's like, um, I know there is a bit of a time where people are not very sure if they should get vaccinated or not and so on, and I think I want to be a positive role model for those who are not sure and who actually m might want to get vaccinated but aren't sure if they trust it or so on, just to say, well, I did it, you know, mm -hmm. and then maybe it will inspire others who aren't so sure. I'm never going to convert someone who's not going to do it. And that's not my mission <laughs> at mm. all. But I think it's important to be a positive role model as well for some things that might be important. But I really choose them well. Mm -hmm. I really don't do any campaigns. I, I get approached a lot for doing things generally, like also for adverts and stuff. And I really decline unless it's really aligned with my values. Mm -hmm. So I've only just recently done my very first what mini campaign where I put my face on something and that was from the government a campaign to support people to drink tap water I saw that you saw it yeah I, I saw that and I got that email and I was like oh it's another one of those emails of somebody wanting me to put my face on something and I was like tap water yeah I only drink tap water usually so it completely fit with my values and I was I was game immediately mm -hmm. <laughs> what are your values uh, I think one of the main core values for me and for my brand are really the authenticity thing it needs to be authentic it needs to feel right it needs to be something that I really can put my name and my soul behind so I need to believe in it and I think that's something that's very hard to explain but it just needs to be feeling right so mm -hmm. that's very important um, passion is a very very big value of mine um, passion mixed with curiosity mixed with innovation mm -hmm. Um, because all my projects have to have a certain spark in them so that I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting, let's do that. Or it needs to incite me. So mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the churning away nine to five thing. Um, the same way I will never be a great sourdough baker because I just don't have the patience to stand next to a loaf of bread and knead it for and fold it five times a day. Um, <laughs> So I think for me, um, routine is something that's against my values, or at least that's something that I find is very, well, actually that's wrong. There is, I love to have an exciting life, so excitement, 
with a certain level of routine and certainty in it. Mm-hmm. But there is always this dichotomy between those two in my life. Um, and I know that's also why, for example, I would never want to open a restaurant. People always ask, why don't you have a restaurant? I mean, in this day and age, there is another problem <laughs> related to it. But yeah. Well, we know what the circumstances are, but generally a restaurant is a matter of you create a menu and then you churn it out day day and day, every day. And um, I prefer to look at my week and think, oh, what kind of new recipes can I create this week? So I think I'm very much on this creative innovation or um, discovery mm-hmm. is important for me. It's it's funny how you you explain all of these like creative innovation and for me it's completely new to see it in your area of business i'm i'm i'm, I'm used to read elon musk oh, steve yeah. jobs all these tech guys <laughs> and it's innovation and stuff but you are applying this into the food industry yeah. into into cooking yeah. which is which which is pretty which just pretty cool to 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 hear and to listen to well, it's definitely not as world changing um and well for some people it is uh, yeah. with your recipes they, they will still love it well actually you have a point i mean i have a lot of people who i get messages from people who say they really have started cooking through my books or they cook for my books all the time and i'm like so humbled and really yeah very much flattered and also but also valid I feel validated because my idea is I want to inspire people inspiration is very important also inspiring people in my values but the idea is really if I can get some parents to cook with their children and the children choose a a recipe from my book and it's and they achieve afterwards to make it and it tastes good my god that sense of achievement has actually inspired someone else to maybe cook when they become a student or do I mean that's really important in my recipes I also realize that whenever I write a recipe I try to make it as clear or as simple as possible I hate recipes where they make something complicated just for complications sake (laughs) because it's so chefy to do that you know I'm looking at a recipe and for example I make something let's say with with cream in it and It takes 100, let's say it takes 210 milliliters of cream. And then I'm thinking, but hey, people normally buy these cartons of 250 milliliters. So there's 40 milliliters left. So I will usually make the recipe, change it so that it can use the whole carton. Because I'm already anticipating what the novice or somebody who doesn't regularly cook will do, which is it will go bad or they will throw it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I think that might also be one of the keys to my uh, recipe success um i think these are pretty good values already but i think the the whole um i think i need as well i need to feel rooted that's something i've realized for myself Um, what do you mean by rooted so i need to have a sense of home and a sense of place Mm -hmm. where I belong Mm -hmm. and I've realized that at um, university and also later when I lived in the UK where in the time of seven years in that time span I moved about 10 times okay Um, because you know as a student you always live in a different student hall and then you live with people and then Things just constantly change. And um, I felt a bit like, you know, one of those snails taking my my whole home on my back and then moving into something new. And I I enjoyed it, but I also realize now where I am that I need a sense of place. So this is where I belong and this is where my kitchen is. But at the same time, I've got this huge um, calling for nomadism as well, that I want to explore the world and go around but only knowing I can go back to my little home every time. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is with my business. It is like I do all these little side projects, but I know where my core business is. And I know that writing recipes, um, doing collaborations, doing cookbooks, it always comes back to it's all about the food aspect. Mm-hmm. Even though I do teacup candles that smell of rhubarb, but they smell of rhubarb like my rhubarb tart. So there is again a connection. <laughs> Yeah. But I need to have this, I don't want anything to be too volatile. It mm-hmm. needs to be grounded or rooted mm-hmm. somewhere. No, I, I find this amazing <laughs> because I feel like, I, I completely agree. I, I think I would be, this, I would do, I would do the same. I'm, I have this idea in my head of like wanting to travel, for example, as well. and doing mm-hmm. this podcast with a lot of people, but I, I love my, like my own bed. 
for example. <laughs> yeah. If it like it just just like putting ourselves in the perspective of a person not relating to your passion. You are talking about mm -hmm. your cooking and your passion, but it's always the same thing as well with your home. Every single time you want, you go on vacation, you love coming back to mm -hmm. your own bed because mm -hmm. that's where your comfort is. And finding that in business, that's even more awesome because you know exactly where you want to work and that's where you spend eight, 10, 12 hours a day, whatever you yeah. choose from. So yeah, I, I, I love that. <laughs> um, talking about your traveling experience yeah um i've, I've watched a few of your, your youtube <laughs> videos uh absolutely loved it thank you um what was the hardest part of that experience while traveling um so i think you're referring to the show when i filmed in asia so the asian adventures show so that came that was the fifth season of my tv show and by then we'd filmed in london where i lived we filmed in luxembourg and i'd always ever since day one of me having a tv show i said to my friends i said one day i'm going to be filming in asia i'm going to be filming there and they were always like yeah and right mm -hmm. well i did it exactly. <laughs> season five we did it <laughs> um but again it's like the lego blocks i'm building blocks so i had to pre-produce those whole episodes from luxembourg so basically i knew we are flying out to Bangkok we have three weeks out there to get four episodes of 20 minutes each that sounds like oh yeah cool four weeks no it's really three weeks it's really not a lot um, because as a producer tv producer you normally have to well you have to find your interviewees you have to find your stories you have to get all your permissions as well so you need to completely organize it and I was also like, when RTL said, yeah, you can do it. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this now? I got the job, but how do, I, how do I do it? So I went back to what I usually do, which is, okay, hang on. I've been to Bangkok 10 times by then. So I had my friends there. I wrote every single one of them. And I said, look, this is what I'm going to be doing. I want a TV show. I'm going to do some episodes there. Can you send me your favorite place for doing that? Can you tell me where is the market that you like to go to and I actually very early on realized that they all had great tips and they all kind of those tips fell in with certain things I wanted to cover on the travel show but I realized the only way to make it really interesting is to have these stories told through my friends so the friend who said this market is my favorite market I was like well actually let's do the whole episode with you you take me to that market you take me to that place And I'm discovering it through you, because why would I be the authority saying, this is the greatest market for that? My friend took me there. Yeah. So in the end, the show um, was built so that every episode was actually named after the person I'm spending a day with. Mm -hmm. And That's amazing. I realized, again, it's authenticity, I think, again, as well. It's that connection with people. Yeah. And uh, we all had a great time. I still had to pre-produce a lot. I mean, they all said, oh, we go there. And I was like, well, okay. How, well, I still need permission to go in there yeah, and so yeah, on with yeah. the camera. But um, it just, um, I think the building blocks, what I mean with the Lego blocks is really nothing comes from one day to the next. Young people these days often think you can become an Instagram celebrity or YouTube star overnight. And that might be true for some people might also be very shallow careers that are very short-lived, those people. But everyone else, normally it takes, what do they say, 10 years to build a business or to do that. Well, for my Asia show, I had been to Asia generally 23 times by then. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I had my bearings, I had my people, I had real friendships, and I built on that. Yeah, that's amazing, especially that you, you were able to collaborate with your friends and tell a story with that. I mean, I, I found that amazing I, i just love it um have you have you ever had burnout yes oh yeah i actually had a real i had um proper proper burnout like proper what What are the symptoms of proper burnout complete um i really didn't know what i wanted to do in life anymore and i was completely questioning everything mm -hmm. so this was before i um became self-employed I was working for one of the biggest news agencies in the world, the Associated Press mm -hmm. um, in London. And I um, got that job straight out of uni. So I was one of, the, one of the people in my class who 
Just when the recession hit, I got a full-time work contract with the biggest news agency in the world. I mean, God, what a lucky strike of luck. Did that for two years and gradually felt more and more drained, uninspired, really, I hated going to work in the morning. I was working in Camden Lock, and I think that's the thing when I really realized something is fundamentally wrong. I was working in Camden in London. You know Camden, it's the crazy place. Yeah. The building I worked in was literally inside of the market. Okay. So every day I walked through this cool market where all these tourists were. I could get street food for lunch. I was in this amazing space. And I was sitting next to the canal, eating my street food, crying with an intern. I cried, telling my intern I hate my job. And then I realized, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. This is what is wrong. I have the perfect job in a recession, in the perfect place. And I really didn't like it anymore. So I took stock and I was really completely shaken because I had achieved everything I'd ever wanted. And so I really didn't know what to do. So what I did is on the way back home one day on the tube, I wrote myself a note as if I was writing a letter to myself. And I just wrote to myself, Anne, you're going to be 20. I don't remember what age I was, but you're going to be 20 something in a month's time or in two months time. You will have to quit your job. You will go traveling. You will um, become a food writer and you will move to Berlin. So I just kind of wrote something, all the stuff that I wished I would do, even though I knew it's not going to happen like that. But I just thought, well, let's just write that and then I'll read that. And if you believe it, maybe it will help. Interestingly enough, um, I quit my job then. I took the courage and I told myself uh, to do it. Um, but I was completely worried about it. I was still like, oh my God, oh my God, recession. I'm not going to have a job. I live in London. What am I going to do? And now here is a story that's super crazy. And I think that's one of the key moments of my life. <laughs> I went for lunch with a cameraman. We had just finished filming a story. I was still working. I had a month to finish my job. We had a sandwich and um, he said to me, so Anne, what's going on? And I said, oh, you know, I actually just quit my job, holding down my head and thinking he's going to say, are you crazy? No. He patted me on the back, said, good for you to leave this sausage factory. <laughs> Because it's, he said, it's one of the, it's really a boring job and you're far more creative than that. So what's your next step? He was so optimistic. And I was like, uh, next step? Well, I think I'm going to go back to Luxembourg and I'm going to be doing a bit of teacher replacement jobs and then I'm going to keep traveling. And he said, oh, okay. And then after that, and I said, oh, I really want to be a food writer. And he said, okay, cool. Can you do that in Luxembourg? I was like, no, food writing in Luxembourg doesn't really exist. And he was like, okay, so why would you, why would you go back to Luxembourg then? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, security, you know, doing the right thing. And he said, yeah, but, and I said, and I'm not going to find a job in London anyway. And he said, Anne, you just worked for the, you just quit at the biggest news agency of the world. You will get a job at any TV station because this is your seal of approval on your CV. This is opening any door. And I was like, oh, uh, and he said, yeah, have you never thought of that? And I was like, no, okay. So I was like, whoa, I think this guy has a point. So that evening, that very same evening, I walked home to the tube, and I had in my head, what am I doing? What am I doing? Actually, he's right. I should at least try it. Because if it doesn't work out, I can still go back to Luxembourg, and I still have at least tried it. So with these kind of thoughts in my mind, I walked to the tube, and suddenly I had this huge craving for a Thai green curry. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a detour. I didn't walk straight into the tube, but I walked two blocks further to go to Marks and Spencer to buy myself a ready-made curry. And I kid you not, I was standing on the crossing to cross the road away from the tube. And I look at the people on the other side of the street, crowds. Huh? I mean, we're in London, in Camden. You never know any face in London. I look and I spot on the other side of the road, waiting to cross the street, the food and drink editor from Time Out magazine, Guy Diamond. And he is notorious for being completely, nobody knows what he looks like. But I had taken an evening course in food and drink writing at university with the kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll get a job at Time Out. 
Obviously, I didn't. And he was teaching that. So I recognized his face. And when the light hit green, he crossed the street, and I jumped in front of him, and I said, hi, guy. I don't know if you remember me. And he looked at me. He's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're from this funny little country, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so he remembered me, and he was on his way to review a bar on his own. And he said, Anne, what are you doing? Come, come join me. Let's have a drink. Tell me about your life. This is the day that I decided I really wanted to give food writing a shot, right? I bump into the editor of Time Out, the food editor. We go for a drink. And just to say how the universe sometimes aligns, I tell him that I just quit my job at the AP, that I want to be a food writer. And he was like, yeah, but everybody wants to be a food writer. And I said, yeah, but I started this food blog a year ago. I gave him my little card. He's like, okay. And then I realized that that day a book had arrived from Amazon that I just ordered. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say the name. Normally I buy in bookstores, by the way. <laughs> but that day, just that day, the book had arrived, which was about food writing. And I was going to read that. And I said to him, look, this book has arrived. I think this could be good for your course. And he looked at me and said, you're really serious about this, you know? And I said, yeah. And then two days later, he messaged me and he said, Anna, I looked at your website. This is highly professional. When is your last day at work at the AP? I want to give you an internship at Time Out in my food office for a week. And at the end of that week of the food office internship, he offered me a job. Damn. <laughs> this is why I love doing these interviews. It just gave me great goosebumps and that's like those stories where like the universe aligns and when you really know what you want to do like it will just happen but you really gotta know what you want to do and go after it but i mean i i always that really was for me one of the key moments and whenever i'm a bit lost in my life with other things i kind of really try to remember this and tell myself look synchronicity exists and synchronicity is actually one of my key words in life these days it's because um it's when the right thing like things just come in at the right time i don't know how to explain it but it's yeah. something that i'm very lucky to have experienced and i hope that uh, yeah i hope that it's it really is how it works but it's interesting because i've read some of the books as well like from some inspiring people and they often talk about key moments exactly there is a lot of ways of talking about it of or doing it um I like to meditate, for example. Right. I like to meditate and some like just for my personal story, I have a vision board. Like ah, yes, I saw things. it when I, when I walked I in. I have yeah. a vision board of things that I would like to do and in 2020, uh, especially that was the vision board of 2020. And there is one particular person that was has over a million followers on social media mm -hmm. and I applied for a job and even chatted with him. Okay. But that person was on, on the board oh, and brilliant. somehow it happened. And I the, the funny thing is like I had meditated thinking about talking to him for a month. Oh, wow. And okay. it happened after a month. Now, I'm not, sh this is no science. I'm no scientist, but I do believe in, in synch synchronicity that's yeah. how you say it mm -hmm. yes as well and uh like hearing those stories just like is just just so for me the bottom line is if you ever have a food craving go for it because you don't <laughs> know who you're gonna bump into on the yeah, way yeah <laughs> i mean it's amazing how, how how things just happen but the other part is as well you went for it yeah you went for it and some people wouldn't yeah so you that's took true. your shots and that's another thing as well because you take your shots and I've seen it, especially through my experience right now as, as a podcaster, mm -hmm. that you take your shots, you are responsible for your own yeah. fate in, in, in some, some areas. For sure. But again, what I also want to just articulate, though, is that it can be very intimidating or saddening to people who hear that because they feel like, but why hasn't it happened to me? For sure. And it's a bit this, um, this thing about like also saying like, oh, People have this pressure of finding a passion and turning it into something. Um, that's the wrong way of going about it. You have to really also, I don't know how to say it, but it's also a bit of faith and also just try and do what you can. You know, don't, people shouldn't be like frantically trying to get somewhere. If you have this vision or idea where you want to get to, chip away at it every day, you know. It really doesn't happen in a day. It just, it takes 10 years and everything always does take that long. I think it really does. And, and also for like one thing that I really want to say, because it's, it's a valid point. Uh, people are looking for their passion. There is a lot of pressure in regards to finding one passion. 
um, and it's it feels like you gotta have a hundred percent of your energy invested in that one thing that is called your passion but sometimes finding your passion takes spending five percent of your time on one thing five percent on the other thing and other thing and other thing in order to first of all find that passion mm -hmm. and then if you like it you don't need to have it as a job you just can do it for fun i mean like cooking could just as i yeah. I, i love cooking <laughs> uh, i do it every single Every single weekend, I try to ha do at least one new recipe, for oh, example. Oh, brilliant. So that's, that's, that's my take on, on cooking. But I wouldn't take it as a career, for example. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I still love doing it. Mm. I still love trying new tastes. And, and also, it's a, it's a sense of accomplishment when you yeah, finish right? everything, it right? Is. It Every is. Every single time totally. you do your own yeah, recipe. That's true. No, but I think it's about also um, you have to have various... You need to have a bit like a Rubik's Cube. A personality has to have so many facets in order to also be whole for themselves so i think as well like an interesting thing in journalism they always said to us don't study journalism study something you love and find something a field that you're interested in and afterwards learn the tool to become a journalist because mm. if you're just you need to have various interests and various things in order to be interesting or also interesting to yourself and i think i'm sometimes i realize lately i'm so so into cookbooks or so much in that cooking world that I've lately started reading novels again, like devouring them. I'm a real bookworm. I'm just reading, reading, reading. But stuff that has nothing to do with food and nothing to do with entrepreneurialism, mm -hmm. just fiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, I studied literature, so I'm reconnecting with those <laughs> roots again, I guess. But it just makes me more complete. I feel like I'm actually really, I need that in this time of stasis of, well, not being able to travel. I need to read books that are set in Tokyo or something just to get myself out of it, you mm -hmm. know. So it's important to also find, yeah, various points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. How do you manage your work-life balance? <laughs> well, is there such a thing as work-life balance? There is, definitely. Um, I redefine it all the time. So I have months or weeks where it's absolutely crazy, where I'm working a lot. And then... I have periods like at the moment, I'm really giving myself a lot of space. I'm really telling myself, don't just sit in front of the computer and try to do something. Just These days, I actually wake up and I do an hour or two hours of work in front of the computer. And then I, I do a half hour or 40 minutes uh, YouTube workout video. So I started doing these hit and Tabata things mm -hmm. because I realized during lockdown that I mean, we all put on our weight, but also the problem was that I really wasn't doing any gym anymore. And after a year of not going to the gym, I really thought I need to change something. Mm -hmm. And I realized I really, these fitness videos, they didn't speak to me at all. And then I found this really sweet couple from HasFit who are making beginners videos for, I think, lots of old people and things. <laughs> but I love it because I don't feel like I can't follow. So I feel actually like I'm doing something and I'm sweating like, crazy when I do it and I feel great after those workouts mm -hmm. and then I have energy again to do something else for the rest of the day so um, I cook while well, I shower and then I cook I cook lunch and then I work a bit more but I'm uh, these days I'm really taking it slow mm -hmm. and I remember that a few weeks ago I was thinking oh god it's going a bit slow you know I have no other pro I mean I have no concrete project on the horizon The teacup candle thing was a, is a side little thing, but it's not a proper thing. And I was again like in this zone, like thinking, oh, well, maybe. And then I thought to myself, no, just let it be at the moment. Enjoy it. Take your time. Something will come. And I've had two calls um, with hope, which are probably going to lead to something pretty good abroad. So, oh, cool. um, so again, projects found me. Yeah. And it was just in that moment where I was like kind of a bit worrying and telling myself to let go that I got the phone call and I was like, yes, <laughs> this is how it sometimes goes. You have to just not push it. Yeah. <laughs> how, how important is it to, to take your time for yourself? And do you have certain routines besides not like working out that just release you from all the stress, especially when you have like these periods of time where you say it's very crazy? Yeah. How do you handle yourself and be well while you do those projects? Um... I like to have a glass of wine in the evening often. Enjoying <laughs> which yourself, is, uh, Yes, and that's, uh, that's a quality wine. It's not like getting drunk, but it's more like, oh, you know, in the evening, okay, I'm just 
closing the computer, I'm having a glass of wine, mm-hmm. I guess other people smoke or something. It's just like this moment of, okay, the day is over. Mm-hmm. I love to watch TV shows, so I'm also one of those Netflix people, or I love to... Oh God, I recently started watching Gogglebox on Channel 4, which is people watching British TV and commenting on it. Okay. It is so mindless, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's just, oh, but it might also be because I want to reconnect to the UK because we can't go there, obviously. Yeah, uh, I feel that. Yeah, so it's kind of a bit of, again, having a connection to that. Um, well, family, friends are really important. Um, and... Yeah, I just try to find, yeah, books, a bit of escapism. I mean, the thing is, for me, travel is so important. And um, I'm lucky enough that my boyfriend lives in Berlin, so I'm still going there from, like, regularly. So I get to to travel in a way, although it's not really traveling anymore. But it's it's really starting to, like, now get to a moment where I think we all need to get our lives back I think you it's, know? it's getting it's it's for everyone you're not the only one mm, same no. here i mean that's just the way it is and yeah we, i i hope it goes away but but i think that a lot of people i read a really interesting article in the new york times i think uh, about languishing i don't what know is, if you've heard of the no. term languishing and it's um they've said the feeling that we're feeling at the moment most of the people in the world is not depression it's called languishing stasis this kind of limbo this suspension between what you know you're not in a space anymore you don't know what's going to happen all our routines have been taken away from us all our social lives and everything and your daily life is well let's say it like that it has no spices anymore i always say it it's like it's salt and pepper is there yeah you got the food you're eating it's sustenance yes but it's no longer it, it lacks it lacks something and they called about languishing and that this languishing feeling is something that a lot of people are confusing with depression. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of really happy people, including me, are at the moment not feeling at their 100%. Yeah, it is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, but hopefully the end is near. I hope so too. <laughs> I hope so too. So I have one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people connect with you? How can they follow your journey? And uh, yeah. Keep up with the enthusiasm. Well, uh, you can very happily follow me on uh, Instagram as Anne's Kitchen or on Facebook, Anne's Kitchen TV. Um, And oh yeah, TikTok. I started TikTok recently. Uh, That's also Anne's Kitchen TV. And uh, yeah, just on my website as well, which is annskitchen.lu. And um, I'm always responding to anyone who writes or comments. And I'm always happy to see if somebody made some of my dishes. So, so yeah, cool. feel free to share. <laughs> I hope the audience will do that. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking your time. I've absolutely enjoyed this conversation. And thank you for sharing your wisdom, sharing your experiences. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I have to say this was one of the most interesting interviews ever. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. And if you did, and if you know that someone that might like this conversation, please do share this conversation with that friend, that family member. Share this on your social media. Spread the word. I am tremendously grateful for every single message out there. Thank you so much for being a valuable listener. And uh, yeah, I wish you an amazing day. I wish you an amazing week. And I'll talk to you soon.